Hey, Velocity Church, as much as I miss us all getting together in person and gathering together as a family, it's great to be gathered with you online this morning. Uh, and if you're new, if you're checking things out with us, we want to welcome you too. I know it's been a really interesting week with all the different announcements that have come out. I know at least one out of three of my kids are disappointed that the academic year has ended for them for school. I know Things are kind of shaky for some of us with jobs, and I know our healthcare workers, uh, you know, things are, are ramping up for them as well. And there are a lot of different emotions involved with that. And one of the things that's been a topic of discussion and even maybe a little bit of debate uh, this past week has been what is most important? How are we going to let what is most important guide and dictate what we do and how we react to things that are happening around us? And while we don't always need to wait until crisis hits to ask this question, it certainly does sober our thinking long enough to prioritize the answer. And this is how faith works. Unless you and I know every eventuality of every single decision that we're ever going to make, uh, we're making faith decisions in every area of our lives. There are principles of wisdom that we build and strengthen that faith upon, but it all funnels back to that same question. What is most important? Take the Christian faith, for example. What is the truth that everything we do flows from? On some level, the habits that we form now as we move through this time together should be the same habits that we've had in the past and that we want to take with us into the future. There's an opportunity here. What we make the most important now can be the same thing that's most important in the future. If you had to pick one thing that is the most important thing about our faith, what would you pick? There are lots of great options. We could pick love, we could pick grace, we could pick mercy, we could pick justice, purpose, truth, purity, hope, trust, blessing, and we could keep going. If you went to church as a kid, you probably learned early on that the answer to about nine out of ten questions in Sunday school is Jesus. And even if you're like new to church and maybe you jump in with a small group, one of our digital small groups and meet with them and somebody asks a question about the Bible, you could probably, this is a little pro tip for you, just say, you know, I feel like, I feel like Jesus is kind of the answer to that. And everybody in the group would go, hmm, you know, I, I, that, that makes sense to me. When it comes to what's most important about the Christian faith, Jesus is still the answer and always has been the answer, but it's not his teachings that are at the top. Uh, which are revered by more than just Christians because of their wisdom and generosity and the lead to, they lead to life change in and of themselves. And it's not his healings, uh, his, uh, the way that he ministers to the marginalized that are at the top either. As amazing as his actions and as his words are, his three and a half years of ministry and how they upend the world and how people thought about relating to God, how amazing that was, what has always been the most important about the Christian faith is Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday in just a few weeks, we're going to look at all three of these elements of the same event in this sermon series, why they happen, and how they change everything. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biographers of Jesus' life in the New Testament, and they give us recorded perspectives of the experience of the resurrection that the followers of Jesus shared in. But the text that we're going to anchor this series on comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's part of a letter that's written by Paul, a guy who traveled extensively to share the good news about Jesus with people of all kinds of different contexts, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different experiences. Um, and he shared about why Jesus uh, it was important to leave everything else 
behind to believe in and to trust. Paul himself left a very prestigious life in order to be a follower of Jesus. And after writing a lengthy letter outlining for the church in Corinth what their faith and practice should look like, Paul circles back to the foundation that all of what he said and done has been built on. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. It wasn't a fancy speech. It wasn't a, a foolproof program that Paul shared with these fellow followers of Jesus. It wasn't 10 steps to a blessed life that Paul preached as good news. It was Jesus. And more specifically, it was Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus, without these three, provides a hope that's empty of its power. Because anyone who's lived a life that isn't perfect has been confronted with the reality that unless our hope can overtake the obstacle that lies before us, we're stuck. And the ultimate obstacles in our life are the problems and the enemies of sin and death. And we all deal with them. Our sin, even if this sounds like just a churchy or spiritual word, all of us know the impact of sin in our lives. Uh, it causes us to miss the mark in the way we think, the way we decide, the way we act. Even at our best, when we can see a clear path forward for where we want to be in life, we self-sabotage. We make uh, uh, decisions incorrectly. We're overtaken by our emotions. Um, we know that our sin breaks relationships that harm us and harm those around us on a personal and on a communal level. Our mortality uh, might be a little more clear in our thinking. We're reminded of the frailty and preciousness of life when it begins. Uh, when it ends, we're reminded of the pain and loss that we experience. And in the face of these two enemies, where we derive and define our purposefulness and meaning, rest on resurrection, because without resurrection, we're living for the moment, and with it, we're living with meaning. A little bit later in this same letter, Paul writes in the same chapter in verse 19, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And why would he make that statement? Well, it's because the hope of Jesus is tied to the ongoing life of Jesus. But first, we must deal with the death of Jesus, then the burial, and then we arrive at the power of the resurrection. When Paul mentions Jesus' death in this passage, interestingly, he doesn't just say Jesus died. He says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's an added detail that communicates much about why Jesus' death was important and why there wasn't another method used. Uh, and it's part one, or the first reason, is that Jesus' death fulfilled scripture. In other words, Jesus' death wasn't something that just happened. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't a last-minute thing. 
Uh, he was chosen before the creation of the world, Peter writes in 1 Peter, but was revealed in those last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Just as Peter says that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, as you read through the Old Testament, you can see uh, plenty of references to who Jesus is going to be and what's going to happen to him throughout Scripture. For example, all four Gospels all quote from Psalm chapter 22 as they describe what's happening to Jesus on the cross. And we see his work predicted through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, much less at the time of his death. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes, Surely he took up our, our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus didn't just get killed. Uh, the one man who never, ever deserved death in the first place. Uh, Jesus fulfilled his purpose by taking on the death that we deserved on himself, which in turn reveals another reason why his death was so meaningful. Jesus chose self-sacrifice over self-service. Jesus, before his arrest, famously prays in Luke chapter 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Crucifixion was the worst form of death. It was gruesome, it was humiliating, and for Jesus it was wholly undeserved. And yet Jesus, knowing all there was to understand and know about the cross, still chose it. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus took the consequences of what humanity had earned upon his own shoulders and as a result, accomplished the most important thing about his death, is that Jesus' self-sacrifice atones for our sin. Atonement is definitely one of those churchy words. Uh, be that as it may, the doctrine of atonement is of first importance to our faith. In other words, the word atonement simply means that Jesus makes amends, that he makes possible the reconciliation between God and humanity that we need. And so Jesus doesn't just die as a martyr. He didn't just die as an example of God's love or just as an example for us to follow. Uh, Jesus died in our place, on our behalf. Hebrews 9, 27, 28 say, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that is what Jesus dying on the cross did for us. His shedding of blood brought about our forgiveness of sin. And that's why the last word of Jesus on the cross is tetelestai. It's often translated as it is finished, but the grammatical force of what that word means is that Jesus had accomplished, he had completed what he had come to do as he takes his last breath on the cross. 
the reason Jesus' death is so important is because of what it accomplishes. But it's also about what it models for us as we take on a resurrected life as a result of his sacrifice for us. Jesus' death fulfilled scripture, and the resurrected life we enjoy is communicated to us through God's word. We'll have our own take this cup from me moments, but that's just what they are, moments. And in fulfilled scripture in our lives, we find meaning. Jesus chose self-sacrifice over self-service. And loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is directly linked to loving our neighbor as ourselves. God knows how many rolls of toilet paper you bought over the last few weeks. Jesus' self-sacrifice atoned for our sins. And now sin is devoid of its power to define our lives. God doesn't leave us, doesn't forsake us, but instead offers life trajectory altering forgiveness through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Sin and death were the enemy, emphasis on the word were, and Jesus' sacrifice to defeat those enemies prove how valuable we are to God. And all of this makes the forgiveness that we need and the reconciliation with God that is our hope possible. Jesus' death gives us the chance of brand new life. And this is of first importance. And one of the things that we want to make clear as, as a church and as a church family is that as we look to Jesus and as we follow him and as we celebrate what he's done on the cross, that, that we recognize that, that it changes things for us. And so if, if you need help figuring out like, hey, what is that next step? Like if, if this is the thing that, that I believe, this is what is of first importance, what is this next step that I need to take? What is the life change uh, that should be happening? And what should my life look like as a result of that truth? We want to know that, we want you to know that we're here for you. And, and yes, we're not meeting in person right now, but you can still take those next steps. You can go to velocitychurch.info. You can let us know how we can be praying for you. You can let us know what questions you have. Um, if you're ready to talk about baptism, if you're ready to get into a small group of people who are praying for one another, encouraging one another, and studying God's word together, um, this resurrected life that Jesus enables us to have uh, can change us. And, and it's changed the world throughout history. One of the reasons we take communion every week at Velocity is because we're recognizing that very thing, is that the death of Jesus and ultimately his resurrection um, is the hope that we cling to and that guides us in this life. And as we share in the time of communion together, I want to read this verse for us to meditate on. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For we were like sheep going astray, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. May we consider what Jesus' death has meant for us and how it's meant to change our lives as we share in this time of communion together. Let me pray. God, we praise you and we thank you and we're so grateful that you would put your own glory aside and to send your son Jesus to save us. Even though you could have sat distant um, and made us come to you, you come to us through Jesus and we thank you for his sacrifice and we thank you for what that means for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.